Hey, before we begin today's show, when running a business, HR issues can really give you a hard time. There's wrongful termination shoots, minimum wage requirements, and labor regulations, among other things. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap. They're an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for this type of issue for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just what? $99 a month. Month-to-month, no hidden fees. Cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help, and you can get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash hoop right now to schedule that free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash hoop. That's spelled BAM to the, you know what it is, B-E-E dot com slash hoop. And before we dive into today's podcast and the NBA's plans for returning to action, if you're a sports fan, which we assume you are because you listen to this podcast, then you probably know all about the complications baseball faces in returning to play. If you're curious to learn more about the latest ins and outs of those negotiations between the players and the league, then Buster Only has you covered on the Baseball Tonight podcast, which comes out every single day. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. We are recording this on Sunday night. Tonight we're talking about the NBA with Tim Bontemps, who's joining us from Boston. Hi, Tim. I hope you're well. Hello, Brian. How are you? And joining us from Los Angeles, Dave McMenamin. David, I hope you are well as well. <laughs> Brian T. Windhorse, glad to be here with you. Um, Dave, you had what I felt was a pretty interesting story um, that posted this afternoon, Sunday afternoon, uh, about the Lakers and the way they are viewing the return to play as a team, which is relevant because over the weekend, Dwight Howard issued a statement to CNN. Um, if I'm summarizing it, because it was a long statement, but he uh, felt that he is not in the of the mindset to make a decision on returning to play basketball right now, and preferred to stay uh, focused on family. And basically, I think the most relevant thing he could he said was, "I'm with Kyrie," or "I agree with Kyrie," in reference to the uh, conference call Kyrie Irving uh, hosted on Friday, um, discussing the reasons why he may not uh, favor uh, reporting to Orlando to play in, uh, in the restart, um, which he can't do anyway because he's injured, but um, more in spirit than anything. Um, Dave, what did your story say? If you, anybody read it on Saturday night, the statement that his agent Charles Briscoe gave to CNN on behalf of Dwight, you would be led to believe that Dwight, did not plan on playing basketball uh, this season because the the hammer that he lays down was that there should be no basketball till we get things resolved and, and things he was referring to racial injustice and you know social um, inequity in this country and obviously those are deeply embedded things um, that we all hope will be changed and will be fixed and will be corrected. Uh, but it's not something that happens with a snap of a finger. Uh, I spoke to his agent Sunday afternoon and, and Charles told me that anyone who is reading the statement and thinking about Dwight's basketball future in the moment is kind of missing the point. Um, Charles's point was that, Hey, Dwight is solely focused on the the racial injustice going on in the country right now. He's not saying that basketball shouldn't be played. Now, again, if you, if you read that statement, you could say that that's what he was saying, but whether you call it a course correction or whether you call it backtracking um, or whether you're saying it's just offering further. I I think, I think he, uh, I think he revised it to allow Dwight some wiggle room. If I may be so cavalier. 
is what I, I, is what I mean. I, I appreciate the interpretation, Brian. Uh, we've worked on some stories over the years where you take a player and they give a, uh, a press conference and then you offer up uh, paragraphs of uh, interpretation of what they really mean. Well, yeah, this could come in handy right now. Um, but Charles Briscoe's point was that Dwight has not made a decision as to play or not. And the reason why he hasn't, because basketball is the furthest thing from his mind right now. Right now, he is thinking about what it's like to be a black man in America when you live at a time where things like what's going on in Atlanta, where he lives, uh, is occurring. Uh, what happened in Minneapolis occurred. Um, uh, what happened to Breonna Taylor. Um, that's where his sole focus is. At a, a later date, basketball will become um, the number one thing on his mind. Right, but I think the um, the point of your story was that the that the Lakers, um, which you know Dwight Howard, obviously a member of the Lakers, um, you know your story was that the Lakers remain unified and committed. I I, I assume to it playing in the restart. Is that what the yeah certainly? Was? I mean, you, you've seen players um like lebron james go on the record uh about wanting to play in the last month or so um kyle kuzma as recently on as friday uh said that hey i want to play basketball jared dudley did the same thing on social media i i spoke to two lakers that um were not named in the story because the sensitive nature of uh, kind of speaking about a, a teammate's convictions uh but but one player told me straight up there's no divide within our team and another player told me that, that there's still time to get everyone on the same page in both our team and within the league. And there is still time. And we've been talking about this restart of, oh, man, the momentum is, is so lost because it's been, what, two weeks ago where it, it seemed like, okay, there is going to be a solution of 22 teams going down to Orlando, but wow, that solution, we have to wait two months to occur. Well, perhaps that grace period is a good thing because as we're all learning, there's a lot of issues to get ironed out. And it's not just dealing with COVID-19, which was we thought was the main issue as of March 11th when the league went on hiatus. But of course, there is societal issues going on right now, unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime. And... um go right on down the list, financial issues, family issues, et cetera, et cetera. And now's the time to be discussing those things. Right. So I think um, the, the huge challenge is we, we, we really have a difficult time seeing too far into the future. It's a, it's a, it's the nature of, um, of the pandemic and it's a nature of the shifting landscape of, of the United States right now. Um, which we hope is shifting in a positive direction um, out of this uh, this period. Um, but I think the thing is, uh, because this is an NBA podcast, and I'm not going to try to opine on on issues that are still so sensitive. Um, I think there was there was some true feelings about some fans about, hey, is Kyrie leading a movement here that could potentially put this struggle ahead of anything else. And could the restart of the NBA, which is uh, sort of a, a shining light um, through all the uh, darkness of this time for so many people, could this put it in jeopardy? And I think we don't know the answer to that yet because things are changing very quickly. But I would say this, Tim, Kyrie's and Dwight's message is respectable, honorable, and important. And I think all of us are learning and paying attention and struggling with those realities. Um, but I don't think that Kyrie and Dwight speak for large swaths of the league. I think a lot of the league believes that you can achieve some of the goals that Kyrie and Dwight are talking about without um, – you know, electing not to go to Orlando. Um, do you see it that way? Uh, is that your feel by uh, with what, who, with who you've been talking to and paying attention to? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it, Brian. I mean, look, I, I'll speak for myself. Uh, it's hard, I think, for me, and I think for probably both of you guys and everybody listening, just about to think much beyond 
each day as it comes, right? I mean, in the middle of this thing, there's all kinds of stuff going on, whether, I mean, there's 100,000 people who've died from uh, the coronavirus, so more than that now. There's obviously, you know, tragedies going on just about every day, um, you know, in terms of police brutality and stuff that, you know, we've seen people all around the country protesting about for weeks. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that's a lot more important than basketball that's going on. And I think to your point, it's very fair that, um, you know, Kyrie and Dwight and the other guys who have spoken up about it, Lou Williams is, you know, been tweeting about stuff the last couple of days. I mean, I, all these points are valid. And I think anybody who would say that they're not is, is deluding themselves. But at the same time, you know, I, I do agree with you. I think when you look at kind of the, the overall landscape of the league, I, it does seem like the majority of people in the league are, um, you know, at least as of today, uh, leaning on, leaning toward playing in Orlando and trying to restart the league and trying to use that as an opportunity to, um, you know, showcase the things that they believe in there. Now, as we're in a day-to-day world right now, so things could always change, but at least as of today, I, I think that that's, you know, where things stand. And if the league and the players can, you know, finalize this agreement that they're working on to try to get this thing set up, um, you know, I suspect that we'll still end up at a place where the NBA, you know, heads down to Disney World next month and, you know, eventually starts playing games on July 30th. Um, so one thing I think that needs to be pointed out here is that the union, the players union, which has been a little bit maligned in all this. Um, and I agree, they didn't seem like they had all their complete ducks in a row. The players union negotiated a really good deal for the NBA players under a situation where not only did they have very limited leverage, but incredible duress. Um, and that deal was that this bubble was going to include regular season games, 88 of them. And that 88, those 88 regular season games is going to help them retain $650 million in salary that they might have lost had the league just canceled the rest of the season and gone immediately to the playoffs, which they had the right to do. Whether they wanted to do that or could have done that or should have done that is a different topic. But the players union negotiated that. And I would also say that in the past, the players union, Michelle Roberts, the executive director, and Chris Paul, the the um, president, have worked with Adam Silver and the league on social um, issues and players using their voice and their platform effectively. Um, and I see no reason, Tim, why they won't be able to negotiate and use the, the advantage and the platform that's going to be available to them in Orlando in that direction. And, you know, I, I think the union should be allowed to do its work because it's done some significant work here to make this possible in, in the last month or so. Yeah, I agree completely. I think, you know, coming into the situation, you know, Brian, we wrote that whole story about the bubble last month. And, and we spent a lot of time studying this thing. And what did what did we come back to over and over again over the past two months? That the only thing that truly made sense for the NBA coming back was to have 16 teams and just go straight to the playoffs. Right. It was the shortest and simplest way and safest way to finish out the season and do it in a way where you are cutting down the numbers of people repeatedly and quickly and getting through this as fast as possible. And the fact that the NBA came back with 22 teams and is playing these seeding games and these playing tournament games and all this other stuff. I mean, some of it's to try, like try the playing tournament, but a lot of it is to your point, the players wanted to find a way to come back and generate some more salary because they don't get paid money for playoff games. They don't get paid salary. I should say their power, their salary comes from the regular season games. And the union also is getting teams that aren't coming to Orlando paid those players are going to get salary back too so to me they were in a position where the league could have you know really pushed just doing the playoff games and it would have been hard for them to have a recourse and they were able to get a lot of concessions to your point got a really good deal for the players and and you're right i think the players here have a ton of leverage to go to work to go to the league and say look here are the things that we want to do to make uh, our voices heard on stuff that really matters and to your, I, I cannot see the league standing in the way of that. And they'll have a chance to really, um, you know, really deliver a powerful message. So, you know, I, I agree with you on that completely. Dave, I'm not sure that everybody quite understands this and I can understand, I can, I can get it because it's really complicated, but, um, 
to be clear, every single one of these regular season games that takes place in Orlando is going to be a money loser for the teams. And there's no additional money here. It's not like, oh, they're selling this, this special package of games. No, all of, all of these are already sold. It's all to fulfill contracts in place. And because they're playing these regular season games that otherwise would have been played in arenas in front of paying fans, these, these lose money. This is one of the reasons why baseball is in a stalemate. The, I believe Jeff Passan wrote that the owners in baseball, every game they operate on average is going to cost them $640,000 which is one of the reasons why they want to play a lot fewer games than the players, because the more games they play, the more they get paid. So the owners, this deal that they've, that they've set up here is, is favorable. And I'm not sure that the players, especially the baby who players who weren't paying attention to this because they were focused on the other things that were so important. I'm not sure, sure that they totally have their minds around it yet. And I and I and I and I I guess that maybe the union's fault for not making that clear, but um, they they should make it clear what kind of deal they've made for themselves. Yeah, well, Brian, I think this is where the players' union and the ownership is on ultimately the same side because while you could say that everything that the league is doing down in Orlando is only costing them money in the short term. It's also investing in the long-term success of the sport. And it's the same argument that you're asking for the players. In the short term, coming back to play NBA games after a three-and-a-half-month hiatus in the middle of the season could potentially put your body at risk of an exertion that it's not accustomed to doing because usually you have a October through June schedule and you you know, manage your physical activities thusly. But the same reason the players would have motivation to come back to try to do whatever they can to maintain the momentum of the sport, maintain the integrity of the sport, crown a champion. So that 74-year history of having an NBA champion uh, named every year is not broken. The ownership should have the same motivation where we are going to front uh, certain costs that will we won't be recouping in the 19 uh, 2019-2020 season, but we will keep the the sport from going under. Uh, we will keep the sport from having irreparable damage in terms of its standing in the American sports lexicon. And to me, that's where both sides should see uh, that they have a, a partnership. And they do, and they do. Um, I mean, I certainly can understand why uh, there's concerns about being in the bubble and the restrictiveness in the bubble. Uh, Danny Green gave an interview to um, – Danny Green, who's the union rep for the Lakers, um, gave an interview to USA Today. And uh, he said that most of the players he's talked to have, have expressed a lot of concern about the hotel. What's What hotel are they going to be in? What, they, what is the – what are they going to be allowed to do? How safe is it going to be? Things like this. Um, and that is important, especially if you're maybe having to stay there for three months. I would certainly want to know what my accommodations were. Um, but I will say this. Um, the testing is about to start. Um, Tim, you wrote a story um, that you have obtained a memo from the league that they sent out over the weekend. Testing is going to begin next week uh, and be every other day for players and staff who are going to go in the bubble. And Here's the thing. Um, I suspect, I guess, that people are going to test positive. Um, we have seen play, players who've come back to, to colleges uh, this month, um, football players who've come back and gotten testing before working out, uh, and other athletes have tested positive, a lot of them asymptomatic. Um, the MLS, which is um, beginning – to start its own bubble process. They put all of their players through testing um, at the end of last week. And over the weekend, DC United announced that one of their players tested positive. Um, if we put 22 teams uh, and we start doing the testing next week, uh, Tim, I think that there's a decent chance that, th that that's going to start to happen. And this thing is going to get real, real quick. And if there's some people who start testing positive, um, that's going to be a bit of a shock to the system too, even though they've prepared for this 
and they are expecting this. Michelle Roberts said in an interview uh, over the weekend that she says it's not an if, it's a when players test positive. So, but but even the stuff that we think right now is a big deal and skittish, we're going to have another wave of it even before you get to Orlando, is my guess. Yeah, and that's why I, you know, I've said it a couple times already, and I'll say it again. I mean, we're in a day-to-day world right now, both in terms of the whole world and in terms of the NBA world. And, you know, I think trying to extrapolate out how things are definitely going to go between now and July 30th is a fool's errand. And you're right. Like, if we come back on July, you know, June 23rd and people start getting tested and, you know, a bunch of players test positive, uh, you know, it's who knows what the reaction to that will be. I mean, it's just it's really hard to know. Um, And I, I think, you know, it's just we still have it. The league and the players still haven't officially agreed on. Uh, a return to play plan. We still haven't seen what the protocol is going to be as far as. I mean, I don't think Disney and uh, the league have officially. Right. Disney and the league might not have officially done stuff yet. We still don't know exactly what the situation is going to be like in Florida in terms of testing, in terms of what the the living situation is for the players. We don't even know what the schedule of games is going to be yet um, for these seeding games, right? Like we know roughly what the timeline is, but we don't know when the games are going to be and who's going to play. I mean, there's there's a, a thousand things that still need to be sorted out and practice is supposed to start in eight days uh or at least these teams supposed to get together in seven or eight days and that we're about three weeks away from when teams are going to start going to florida in theory so there's you know it might seem like a long time till this is going to start but it's you know we're really starting to get to a rubber hits the road time for all this stuff and there there's still a, a million things that have to get sorted out before the league can actually get back to playing games again yeah um Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. I think if we went back and listened to podcasts from three weeks ago, we we wouldn't believe how things have changed. And you can fast forward that to three weeks from now, and of course we're six weeks away from the games actually starting. Uh, um, so, Mr. Yeah, Windhorst, I've I have a question for you. If you don't approve yes. this, then I guess you can just cut it. <laughs> you, you edit the podcast. I don't. You can. I, you don't have to, I take I take my directions from you. Um, oh, really? <laughs> Do you do you think there's like a it's very silly that I'm going to say this given where we are and who you guys are but there's a bit of a information leak problem that if the NBA was able to put this all together out first that the players wouldn't be so confused as to what or what is or isn't happening and that's what's causing so much start and stops I'm not sure about I mean I think your point is okay but I think um but this is not a fully formed plan. Even when it's released, it won't be fully formed. And um, there's a good chance that it's going to get adjusted. You know, when the document is finally let out to the world, there's a lot, there's a good chance that there, the feedback from the players, whether it was kept secret or not, eventually it's going to be known. They're not going to like, I do think, I do think to your point, Andrew, part of the, part of the, the issue I think right now is that, there was this vote by both the owners and the players, you know, over a week ago on kind of the outline of a plan. Right. And we still don't have the rest of the plan. And I think that I think to your point, I think that's part of the problem. Having said that, that they're working. The, the union is working with the, with yeah, the league no, no. every everybody's, single day. Everybody's working. They're not. I'm the, not they're not. In the dark. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm not saying the union's in the dark. I'm not saying both sides aren't trying to work things out. I mean, as we just laid out, right, there's a thousand things that have to get worked on, but there's an information deficit to your point. And because of that, people are now confused and they're not sure what's happening and they're concerned about it. And it's just hard to like all the, when people bring up questions about this stuff, a lot of times there isn't an answer yet. And it's hard, it's hard to calm anybody's nerves about stuff if they're uncertain about it, if you don't have answers to the questions. Also, I, I think, Fundamentally, the way the information that's coming out has been framed has, you could say it's been detrimental to the process. Uh, for a long time, what we've been talking about is the health concerns. If it was truly about health concerns, there would not be 22 teams in the bubble. There just wouldn't. They'd have 16 teams. They take out six teams. And uh, all those people that those teams would represent, and they would boil it down. But the money is what's ruling the day here. And if that was the conversation to begin with, 
and the players were told in very clear terms that if we have this bubble and we have 22 teams participating, it means $650 million in your, in your pocket uh, that you would not lose uh, in this process. And that's where we're beginning and kind of ending. And then we'll figure out the other concerns as we move on. I, I think we're having a more realistic conversation. But because the conversation has kind of ebbed and flowed from, well, the number one concern is the the health or the number one concern is um, player movement in and out of the bubble or the number one concern is, uh, as we've seen in the last month, um, being able to express yourself when it comes to social injustice. Um, it, it's been so many moving conversations that the, the real gist of what this is all about, I, I think, has been muddled. Couldn't have said it better myself. Hey, before we move on and talk about actual basketball here, I wanted to take a second and talk to you about our friends over at TSO, who are the official watch of the NBA. If you're still undecided on a Father's Day gift, TSO offers a variety of watches for dad, ranging from classic to sporty to contemporary styles. And as you may already know, Tissot is a Swiss watch brand with a broad range of high-quality watches at attractive prices. Tissot brings performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic watches. You can visit TissotWatches.com to explore the collections that best fit dad's everyday style. Tissot, this is your time. Follow at Tissot.us on Facebook and Instagram and hashtag ThisIsYourTime for more information about Tiso. Okay, back to the show. Tim, you have a story posting Monday. Um, how would you how would you term this story? You talk to people across the league, but um, the big questions uh, and what people think about the big questions, how would you term it? Yeah, I mean, I, I've done a couple of these. I did one at the beginning of the year, and I did one back in February after the All-Star break, and essentially tried to distill down you know, you know, I think it ended up being nine, um, you know, nine big picture questions about the league, you know, that are going to be decided in one form or another in the bubble and kind of how they'll affect the league moving forward. You know, it's a it's a chance to talk to people from you know all levels of the league, whether it's coaches or scouts or execs um, about, you know, kind of big picture stuff, some about specific teams, some about the whole league to kind of get a picture of what the league thinks about, you know, to me, what, you know, what are really interesting and important storylines going into Orlando, um, assuming that everything gets sorted out, um, you know, that, that we're going to all be monitoring over the next few months as this, you know, the NBA tries to play the season out. One of the questions, I think your first question up you asked is, um, what happens if this doesn't work? If the bubble doesn't work? Um, I don't know how you define doesn't work like the disease invades and we have to shut it down or the whole concept, the games are flat and fans don't want to watch. I mean, what, what do you mean by doesn't work? I mean, the way it was, I was framing it was what happens if, if the NBA isn't able to finish its season basically, um, which is, you know, in one sense uh, that could be because, you know, the coronavirus just causes it be played whether it's because you can't play it in Orlando anymore because the virus really kicks up there or you have an outbreak among teams and it's deemed you know unable to be finished or whatever and the other is that you know there's like what's going on in baseball there just ultimately isn't able to be an agreement had between the players and the owners and you know the general opinion among you know the people I talked to within the league was that if it's the former and the virus is what stops this thing from happening then Everybody will probably, you know, be able to say, well, we gave it our best effort and it just didn't work and move on. The bigger issue will be if there is a baseball like breakdown between the two sides and it's unable to be gotten over the finish line, because then you're looking at a situation where the union, the, the league could, you know, rip up the CBA and enact a lockout. Maybe you lose next season. You know, there's, you know, really big business ramifications for the future of the league at that point. And while nobody really thinks it's going to get to that point because the relationship between the two sides is really strong and they have worked together on this the whole time, 
you know, as we've said a bunch of times on this pod, this is all really difficult stuff to sort out. And, you know, people at least left open the possibility when asked, you know, about, you know, what would happen if, if the, you know, kind of the, the worst case scenario from that standpoint plays out. So Tim, I, I really enjoyed the piece and I'm going to go on the opposite of, of Brian's doom and doom, doom and gloom question to start things <laughs> off, which was fair though. I mean, obviously that's what we've been sure. talking about, but let's just put ourselves in a basketball world where we're just talking about basketball. And one of the questions that you posed, which I enjoyed was who is primed to be a breakout star of the bubble. And could you walk us through some of the names that people in the league are talking about? Yeah. The, you know, and, and when I talked to people, I basically said, you can't say Luke or Zion, Luke Doncic or Zion Williamson, because everybody already knows who those guys are. This was more of a, you know, who could go down to Orlando and really use this platform to, elevate themselves in the national consciousness, whether they lead their team late into the tournament or, you know, they just get to play on national TV in a way they did. And obviously, you know, the guy who got the most votes was John Morant guy who obviously was the second pick in the draft, but played in college at Murray state uh, is playing in the pros for the Grizzlies. I think has been on national TV once. Um, and, you know, is that he right? first, I, I, yeah, maybe once or twice, they have not been on national TV much. Um, and he, he is uh, my favorite player just about in the league to watch already. I mean, he's just unbelievably fun. So we talked about Kyrie Irving on this pod back in, I want to say it was October. They played, the, they played the Nets in the first week of the season or two weeks of the season. And Ja blocked Kyrie at the buzzer to send the game into overtime yes. and outplayed him in overtime uh, in just an unbelievable game, like less than two weeks into his pro career. And he's, you know, had the crazy dunk on Kevin Love. He's done all this stuff. So, you know, he's a guy that a lot of people pointed to and said, you know, especially, you know, I mean, Dave, you know this, if the the Grizzlies manage to make it into the playoffs, which they are the, you know, fairly heavy favorites to, given the way the, the structure is set up, you know, him getting to go up against LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the Lakers at least four times in the first round, there's not a better way to have more people pay attention to you than that. Um, so, so Ja got a ton of votes. Ironically, his two teammates in Memphis, if it tells you where the Grizzlies are seen, by people in the league, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark both got votes. Um, you say and, votes, just to be clear. You you surveyed uh, NBA executives. Yeah, I talked to 12 different people, So yeah. whether it's coaches, scouts, and execs. So I, I think Ja got four or five votes. Those two guys each got a vote. Um, Bam Adebayo from the Heat got a couple votes as a guy who people know is good, but fans, you know, he's the kind of a guy that you really need to see, um, you know, for, for to really appreciate what he does, kind of like Draymond Green. Like his, his plays, box score plays, stats aren't plays center at one end and point guard at the other at times. Right. Like he's his his box score stats don't always stand out, but when you watch a heat game, you go, Wow, that guy is awesome. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox got a vote. So it was it was a bunch of guys kind of spread across the league. Um, you know, and and I, I, I'm with you, Dave. I, I thought it was fun to ask people because, you know, one of the cool things about this is that we're gonna get a chance to see, you know, all these guys getting to play on you know, a really big stage where there's not much else going on in sports. And, you know, if you're De'Aaron Fox with the Kings or John Morant with the Grizzlies, you know, you're, these are guys who, you know, play in small markets and they're going to be everybody in the, who's a basketball fan is going to be tuned into all of these games. And, you know, they're really going to get a chance to show their stuff on a stage that they wouldn't have if they were just playing out the string in, you know, March and April during, you know, a typical end of the regular season. Yeah, and Jaws, you know, well, Brian, just one more point. So Jaws been one of the guys that have put out videos of him playing game or playing pickup during the hiatus. And so a guy, a comp j- jumped out to me for John Morant. And I was curious if you guys, I have a name in mind. Do you guys have a name in mind for who John Morant reminds you of? And I don't think it was until this recent spate of videos that he shared that it, it really like cemented it in my mind. I don't have one immediately. No. So who who does he coach? Stands out to you? I, Steve Francis. Yeah, I like because that. the leaping ability is just off the charts, right? So that's the first thing I think that grabs your attention, and then you're like, oh, but it's not just that, right? He has the ability to score off the dribble. He has the deep range. I, I think his shots uh, already more effective than, than Steve Francis was for most of his career. But um, that was the player I was. And and I mean, Steve Francis was electric. He did didn't have that lengthy run of being an electric player in the league. But when he was in that that prime, I mean, he was a type of guy that you you want to make sure you tune in to watch. Um, you were you've been working on this for a few weeks, um, but 
I got to believe that there's a lot of people who want to see what Nikola Jokic is going to be. Um, you know, you know, we had heard, uh, well, there was some talk about he had been, he had stayed in Denver, although I think he has been back in Serbia recently because I think he was photographed at a game with, uh, the Joker, yeah. Uh, yeah. Novak Djokovic. Um, but he spent most of the time, I believe, I can't say for hundred percent, but I believe he spent most of the time in Denver, um, working out. And, uh, there was some talk like, yeah, he's really getting into shape. And then the photos came out this week and he looks, he looks more like Chris Epps Porzingis than, uh, Greg Ostertag. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's those, those, those images are really crazy. Well, and to be clear, like this, this was more of a, like young up and coming player question as opposed to, no, you know, Jokic no, has but, been an all NBA guy. So. Jokic, That's the only reason I, guys like that didn't come up. It's like forty pounds, fifty. Like it's a lot. I mean, he uh, looks dramatically different. He, he it went. It looks from, like the difference Kevin Love made in, over the course of his career, but he did. Yeah, but it, it in took a, Kevin Love like three or four. No, that's years. what I mean. He did it in the summer or he not even went the summer, from, a couple months. Went from twenty twenty Jack Nicholson to twenty twenty Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> um, like that's good, uh, now, look. I mean, he obviously is going to still be one of the best passing big men in history and be a very creative scorer with amazing hands and everything like that but um he's going to be a different player maybe i think i mean i'll tell you one thing the nuggets are going to be must watch but there's going to be two or three exhibition games played um the nuggets might be my number one i gotta watch in the exhibition games just to see what this guy does um, not that that wasn't in your story, but I just, um, yeah, no, it's, it's fair. I mean, I, I think everybody who's seen the pictures of him wants to see him on the court. And, you know, if, if Jokic comes back, you know, with way better conditioning, you know, and can, you know, if he's beating guys up and down the court now, say, right on top of everything else he does, that's, that's going to be, you know, pretty interesting for Denver, you know, and, and that's going to be fun to see. I have a, I have another question that if you guys don't want to talk about it, feel free to. Sure, Tim. Uh, what's uh, what's been the more surprising weight loss to you, Jokic's weight loss or Harden's? Uh, Jokic to me. I mean, just because like that just came completely out of left field. I mean, James. Like, there's been a lot of footage of James working out, and he's talked about his workout plan and all this stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, like the last person you would expect really to go into this bizarre lockout situation where people don't have like typical access to the gym. And come back looking like a completely changed human would be Nikola Jokic. And I also say that Harden, early in his career, was much lighter. Yes, and he's and he's bulked up as he's some gone of it's along. right, and some of that's because of the way he plays. Right, he's trying to run over guys and he's yeah. you know banging guys in the post and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean the, but the we've Jokic never transformation seen, is wild. we've never seen Jokic look like that. I don't know if anyone ever has. Um, one of the other questions you ask here is what. This lockout or lockout, what this um, restart in the uh, quarantine, um, what winning it would do for LeBron's legacy. Um, Dave, LeBron, if you're a LeBron fan, uh, you defend everything that he's done and can explain, uh, in large part, explain away the six finals losses. Um, if you're not a LeBron fan and you look for ways to take him down you point to the finals losses. i suspect if lebron wins this this uh, if lebron leads the lakers to a title people who like lebron will say oh my god this is an incredible accomplishment leading a third team to a title uh taking him taking them through this shutdown and restart winning uh bringing the title back to los angeles oh my gosh he's he's cut the the, the ground on jordan um, and if you don't like LeBron, you'll say asterisks and a half. Uh, you're not Kobe or whatever. Um, what do you think is at stake here for LeBron as he is undoubtedly got as, as much on the line as anybody coming back into this thing? Yeah, Brian, I think there's enough people that have dug in their positions that no matter what happens with this restart, it, it won't change how they view LeBron. But no one in NBA history has won a title on three teams as uh, the finals MVP. So if he was to do that, he would make history. Uh, no one at his stage of his career, this old, this many seasons in, 
has the lead led the league in assists and if he does that in, in a fashion that leads to a championship it becomes all the more significant it's not just the empty uh, you know numbers of, of padding your stats with the sits it's wow he was able to change positions at year 17 as a 35 year old and in doing so lead his team to a championship the only person you can think of is someone like will chamberlain um uh, doing uh, a feat like that now, that's paul bunyan type of stuff um now there will be the people that say well i mean come on this is a truncated season uh you know he had anthony davis anthony davis was the better player you know look at all the stats anthony davis was uh, you know lebron's not the best player in the lakers it's anthony davis those people can be entitled to their opinion, and I know that on this podcast, talking about the intangibles and off-court stuff has you know gained me a whole uh, great deal of, of Twitter trolls that have been following me the last several months. But uh, there's been intangibles to this season that are unlike any other uh, a season uh, that uh, a superstar has gone through the, in my history covering the league for um, now the echo you, Brian, but I'm getting up to 15 years covering the league. And uh, that will be part of the story moving forward. And if he was to cap it off uh, with the championship, um, you know, some people already say that the championship in, in 2016 should, should count for just a little bit more, like maybe, maybe not two championships, maybe 1.5. I think a championship this season would uh, could be viewed in the same light. So the uh, the folks that you surveyed, uh, Tim, felt how on this question? Well, it, it's funny you, you mentioned your in your comment about it, Brian, because someone did kind of give me the same thing. It didn't quite fit in the story, but they basically said I, I feel a little bit bad for LeBron because whether you like him or not, people will you know either say it's great or they'll put an asterisk on it and say it was a fake season. So it's kind of funny you said that, but. Um, you know, general, it, it kind of, I think, struck the general tenor of the, you know, Jordan versus LeBron debate, which, you know, given the last dance the past few weeks has come up a lot. Um, you know, there were a couple people who said that they, um, you know, one or two people said they'd have LeBron ahead of him already. There are one or two people who said, you know, if he wins this year or wins a fourth one, like that might be what tips it in his favor to me. And there were, you know, several people who said, I would still have Jordan ahead, but, if LeBron wins another title, he would really, you know, keep closing the gap on him. Right. And I think that's at least as of today, I think that's kind of generally where the public is at, where, you know, Jordan's career is obviously done, as we just saw on the last dance. And that story has been written. But LeBron, you know, still at this point has, you know, seems like a few years left to kind of round out his resume. And, you know, let's be honest that we don't know how many more chances he's going to have like this. So, uh, you know, to me, like you said, I mean, this is a, a huge opportunity for him where he comes, you know, he should come into these playoffs rested and healthy and ready to go. And, you know, the, the Lakers have just as good a chance as anybody to ultimately win the title. And it, you know, I, I, I think it, it's pretty clear that if he manages to get a fourth one this year, that'd be a pretty huge thing for him. I've, I've said this jokingly, but I, I'm, it comes from a, a place of seriousness. I recommend that the NBA uh, construct a Pope mobile for LeBron to drive him around the bubble. And so he's always encased in some sort of protective uh, <laughs> glass because um, LeBron cannot get sick for a hundred different reasons. Um, he cannot get sick. Uh, it's actually kind of a whole nother layer of pressure. Um, can't get sick, Dave. If he gets sick, it's um, not only the threat to his own health, but the, the, the perception, everything like it, They've got to keep – I mean, Giannis is really important too. You really need Giannis to stay healthy. Uh, but LeBron is the biggest. Well, somebody even once – well, one of the questions I asked on the survey was, you know, do you buy the idea that there's an asterisk assigned to this championship because of the, you know, the singular nature of what the season has been? And uh, my answer to that personally is no. And most people who were asked about it, their answer was no. But kind of the one dissent, the one scenario where that could be the case is somebody said like – if LeBron and, or Giannis or Kawhi get sick at a key portion of the playoffs and that tips a series one way or the other, um, you know, that's kind of the one scenario where this could happen. So to your point, like that is really in terms of an on the court situation, like even if you argue that's no different than an injury, um, you know, I think it's safe to say if, if somebody like that it gets the coronavirus at a key point in the playoffs and that changes how this is going to go. 
it's it's going to be hard for people not to. Think I, I'm not sure. Sure, I agree with that. I think if it, if there's a team where there's an outbreak, and to be honest with you, if there's an outbreak on a team where a number of players get it, I mean, I don't know if they if they continue, but you know, let's say there's an outbreak on a team, and a team kind of is to focus on health is unable to to continue, or like there are a couple of key players are wiped out, and they, you know, I think that's when it becomes a nasty. You know, if the if the Clippers if Paul George and, and you know and, and Kawhi get sick, um, you know, it, 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 I think that's something like that. In addition to the fact of oh my gosh, we've got this bug that's that's uh, that's stretching. Thanks, um, okay, Brian. the last thing. Thank you. Last thing. You're welcome. Um, the last the last thing I want to talk about. You also, Tim, talked to folks about um, the free agent, the uh, the how free agency is affected potentially by what happens here. Let me just uh, uh, attach uh, uh, an asterisk. I'm sorry to say that. Uh, we don't really know what free agency is going to look like because we don't know what next year's salary cap is going to look like because there's going to have to be another negotiation about that. And it's a possibility that the salary cap could be vastly reduced and we don't even see much in the way of free agency. But let's just assume for the sake of, anal- of, of analysis that we see a relatively normal free agent cycle um what were some of the things that folks were talking about as a fallout uh depending on how things go in this in this bubble well because we're in a kind of a a strange free agent class to begin with beyond the fact that we're not sure where the cap is there also aren't a lot of star players in it you know i think we'll all assume anthony davis is going to remain in los angeles if that's the case you know the main free agents you're talking about outside of brandon ingram are guys like fred van vliet mantras harrell Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's a restricted free agent, Danilo Gallinari, all really nice players, but guys you don't look at as max guys. Um, so you're already in a situation where you're not quite sure. Gordon where Hayward is a, is a maybe, but almost certainly going to opt in. I yeah, a lot, of, a lot of these guys who have contracts for next year, whether it's DeMar DeRozan or Gordon, or, or a lot of these guys are, are, are expected to opt in. So assuming those guys aren't on the board, um, you're looking at a lot of these guys who are, are good players, but again, not max players, which is where you get into you're not sure where they're market level is going to be and uh you know a lot of people thought that this could have a bit of an ncaa tournament effect for players and that there has there's going to be such recency bias on what just happened uh because we have had such a gap between what was the regular season and what what's going to be in orlando um that you could see guys valuations fluctuate around multiple people uh specifically mentioned solomon hill who had one good series against the raptors with the Pacers in 2016 <laughs> and got a four year, $52 million contract that immediately was an overpay. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> right. Bismack Biombo in the same playoffs had yeah. two good series and he got $20 million. Right? I mean, that, that summer was full of crazy contracts, but, um, but yeah, that, that was, that was something that a lot of people brought up is, you know, it will be interesting to see if the way guys play either good or bad, again, setting injury aside, um, you know, it does really shift, where the market would have been for guys that, you know, are hoping to, you know, get a payday this summer. And so Dave, the other thing, he's not a free agent, but obviously going to be a massive thing is Giannis. Giannis has the ability under the current CBA rules. I doubt this will change that much, but he has the ability to extend at the super max level uh, for $250 million, give or take. I mean, we're not, we're total ballpark guess because we don't know, but you know, what happens with the bucks um, I, whether it affects Giannis's willingness to extend this summer or not is a is it a huge unknown. I mean, outside of Kawhi Leonard, no one walks away from a winner. Like that's what we've learned from the sport. So if the Bucks were to get to the finals, win an NBA championship, you'd have to think the chances of retaining Giannis Antetokounmpo, the the bright young star of the league, twenty five years old would spike dramatically in their favor. If there's an early exit, if they don't win or, or whatever happens, you'd have to think that it would cause, you know, John Horst, Alex Lazar and company to start biting their, their fingernails. Cause yeah, that, that's, it, it, that, that's, that's the thing about the supermax. This is what happened with Anthony Davis. It happened with Kawhi Leonard. Um, it's, it's one thing if the guy doesn't sign. Okay. And, you you don't have the security of knowing that your your prime asset is is locked in. It's the ramifications of saying no. It's a it's not just uh, you know oh yeah he's going to be a free agent in the year. It's a it's a vote of no fair or not. It's a vote of no confidence. 
And that's why this is so prickly. That's why um, when it became clear that uh, Kawhi and, and then Anthony Davis were not going to sign, uh, it it was like, oh my God, this is this is the end, and they had to trade them. Um, now, I'm not saying that's where the Bucks would be at all because Giannis hasn't expressed anything like that. But Tim, this is why this is such a such a huge moment, and and it was something that we thought would be coming without all of this other stuff going on. It still doesn't diminish the kind of moment that's going to be for that franchise. Yeah, no question. And, and the, the fact that the salary cap is, you know, is going to be in a kind of a weird spot, you know, could also play a role here too, because even if Giannis decides he wants to stay, if he extends now or this fall, you know, it's based off of whatever the cap is in 2021. So, you know, it, it, if we're in an uncertain financial climate, it might be hard for him to do that too. I mean, it's just, it's another wrinkle thrown Milwaukee's way and trying to keep them and, you know, it's, you know, it's certainly the question that everybody in the league is going to be wondering about until he officially is there long-term because, you know, as we've seen time and again, whether it's with Kevin Durant or LeBron or, you know, Dwight Howard, who's changed his teams. I mean, it's rare when you have a guy at that level in his prime who hits free agency and can change teams. And it's got the ability to, you know, Kawhi Leonard last summer. I mean, it's got the ability to fundamentally alter the league when they make decisions. And there's no question that he's a, he's that caliber of player. And what did the uh, people that you surveyed say in, on this topic? I mean, there was some, uh, there is some uh, concern, not concern. There's because people aren't sure about where the financial state of the league is. There is some question about whether he would uh, sign a supermax extension, even if he wants to because of that. Um, but I, I think generally it's like Dave said, if, you know, people basically think if the Bucks can either win this title or make the finals or, you know, make the next two finals or, you know, win the next finals, whatever, if the Bucks win on the court, Nobody really sees them going anywhere. It, the, the question becomes, if they fall short, then what happens? Um, but yeah, I think, at least from talking to people around the league, they feel good that, uh, or I should say, the Bucks should feel good that the ball's kind of in their hands on this one. And if they, you know, they were the best team in the league this year, and if they, um, if they're the best team in Orlando and win the title, then, you know, I, I think everybody pretty much assumes that Giannis is going to be a Buck for a long time. No, it's a long time ago. I know they're completely different people. I know that their values are completely different. I'm not saying A leads to B, what have you. I'm just saying that what you just said there reminds me a lot of what people were saying about LeBron James in 2008, um, a year and a half before his uh, free agency when he was on the number one overall seed. And they um, didn't win. They did not. And they didn't win the next year either. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you to Dave. Thank you to Tim. We appreciate uh, your support. Everybody stay safe out there. Have a great week.